Welcome to Backlog Books. My name is Kara. In this podcast, I will be recapping and discussing what I have been reading lately. Thank you for joining me, and please be prepared for spoilers. Happy long weekend to some of you. This past weekend, we have rearranged the garage so that we can fit our new bicycles in it, which is very exciting, and also didn't take nearly as long as we thought it would. I have also dropped off some old books in one of the little free libraries in my neighborhood, and I only took home one new book from that same little free library. So overall, I think it's been a good weekend. Let's get to it. This time we are talking about Tea from an Empty Cup by Pat Cadigan. Here is the summary. How can you drink tea from an empty cup? That ancient Zen riddle holds the key to a baffling mystery. A young man found with his throat slashed while locked alone in a virtual reality parlor. The secret of this enigmatic death lies in an apocalyptic cyberspace shadow world where nothing is certain and even one's own identity can change in an instant. This book was first published in 1998. I read it in August 2021. Our author, Pat Cadigan, was born in 1953. She has been a full-time writer since 1987, but has also helped organize conventions and been an editor for literary magazines, as well as a writer of Hallmark cards. In 2013, she was diagnosed with cancer, but her most recent blog post from, I think it was May of this year, says that she is doing well with no signs of remission. This book is another one from my read it again to see if I want to keep it shelf, which if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that's one of the goals I had was to get through this shelf of books that I've had and either never read or read once years ago and couldn't remember well enough to know if I wanted to keep them. So go me. I'm gradually chipping my way through that. Now, I went into this book a little skeptical already, which, as we know, is not the best way to go about reading a book. Willing suspension of disbelief is a vital part of reading fiction. If you go into a book with your skepticism hat already on, it's easier to nitpick at small things you might otherwise have ignored or overlooked. It also doesn't help that this book starts with two characters throwing racial slurs at each other. So let's keep that in mind. Warnings for racial slurs, obviously, and drug use in this book. This is a cyberpunk murder mystery novel. Cyberpunk, in case you are unaware, is a subgenre of science fiction. It tends to be set in a dystopian future where technology has expanded exponentially and humans, unless they are very rich, live very meager lives. I'm including a link to the Cyberpunk Wikipedia page in the show notes if you want to look into that some more. Neuromancer by William Gibson, which I talked about in episode 12 of this podcast, is one of the formative works in the cyberpunk genre. Now our story begins with a sale, 
A white guy is buying a pass and a new identity from a Japanese guy. The pass and identity will grant the buyer access to a secret level of artificial reality, one that's populated by Japanese myths and legends, if the buyer can handle it. And that's our setup for this world with an artificial slash virtual reality. Cadigan uses artificial reality in the book rather than saying VR. So artificial reality is an escape. It's a game, mostly. There are a couple of different programs that you can plug into, and the most popular ones are post-apocalyptic. So you can go to post-apocalyptic New York City or post-apocalyptic Los Angeles. The whole thing is highly capitalized on. Every minute spent in AR is billable, and it has what we call microtransactions. Everything can be improved with just a little money. Artificial reality is also lawless. If you do something in real life based on what you see or hear in AR, that's on you. We're told in the narration about several court cases that were basically thrown out. The gist of it is that you shouldn't believe anything you see or hear in AR. And there are people who spend their whole lives there. It's fully immersive with full body suits and headsets so you can feel everything that happens when you're plugged in. Dedicated AR users tend to look down on newbies especially if those newbies expect AR to follow the same rules as regular old reality. We have two point-of-view characters, Yuki and Constantine. Yuki is a Japanese woman looking for her lost friend. She has never been to Japan, the country literally shattered into pieces before she was born. A big part of this book is the feeling of cultural loss experienced by people of Japanese descent because their whole country is gone and those who remember Japan as it was are dying out. There's talk of creating a new Japan in artificial reality, one only accessible if you are Japanese. This new digital Japan is treated like a rumor like it's just another tall tale or myth to come out of AR. So Yuki's missing friend Tom Iguchi is also Japanese. The two of them are not very close. Tom mostly uses her as a place to crash when he's in trouble. Yuki acknowledges that it's stupid of her to care and look for Tom, but despite this, she puts herself in danger and gets a sketchy job working for someone who she thinks used to employ Tom. She's not even sure. Her new extremely sketchy employer, Joy Flower, hires her on the spot because Yuki is Japanese. Since the destruction of Japan, people have become obsessed with all things Japanese. So Yuki goes to this bar and walks up to this woman and is hired and isn't told what the job is. She's not even sure what it is. And she's taken 
and locked into a room and given no other instructions on her new job except to plug into artificial reality. And she does. She's like, cool, now I can investigate Tom's disappearance. There's definitely no catches here. And skips off into the post-apocalyptic artificial sunset. I guess I just would have liked to have seen any acknowledgement of the danger she was putting herself in. I mean, she knew it was dangerous, but she didn't really second-guess herself at all. She was just like, yep, my friend who only uses me as a crash pad is missing, so I better go get this extremely sketchy job and plug into artificial reality and go look for him. I just question your survival instincts, Yuki. That's all I'm saying. So when you are in artificial reality, you interact as an avatar. Yuki's new sketchy job comes with an avatar preloaded, one that looks exactly like Tom, her missing friend. So now she's wandering AR, wearing Tom's face, and asking questions about him. She's obviously bait on a hook. But who or what is Joy Flower fishing for? Our second point of view character is Constantine. She is a detective investigating a murder in an AR parlor, which is like an internet cafe but for artificial reality and way sketchier. A lot of cyberpunk is just a series of extremely sketchy events. So the parlor has individual rooms where you can suit up and plug in. The weird thing about this murder is that the victim died in artificial reality at the same time as in real life and in the exact same way with his throat cut. The victim's information says his name is Tom Iguchi, but he's obviously a white guy and he's known for changing his name frequently. So we can figure out that he's our buyer from the beginning, the one who bought a pass meant to take him to some mythical hidden lair in AR. Constantine's investigation seems like it's not going to go anywhere. No one working in the parlor saw anything, and every one of them knows someone who knows someone who died in the same mysterious way. It's just another AR tall tale. And no matter who she questions, no one saw anything in the parlor, and she legally can't make them tell her what they did in artificial reality. So Yuki is plugged in investigating Tom's disappearance, and Constantine plugs in to find someone who can give her insights into her victim's final moments and would be willing to talk to her in actual reality. Unsurprisingly, finding someone in artificial reality willing to talk to the police is nearly impossible. Constantine also encounters difficulties because she doesn't know the way AR interactions work. It's like she's speaking a different language. And I think Cadigan made a mistake here in her writing choices because neither Constantine nor Yuki are familiar with artificial reality. They don't understand the appeal of it, so their perspectives and insights, especially at the beginning as they start to investigate, are very similar. They're both unaware of the usual rules and 
codes of conduct followed in AR, so they make similar mistakes and discoveries. It makes for fairly repetitive interactions. I think it would have been more interesting to have one of them struggle with basic AR protocol and then have the other one glide through it easily. We'd be able to spend more time delving into artificial reality, and you could contrast their experiences rather than having two very similar storylines running alongside each other. Constantine and Yuki don't really cross paths. Even if they did, they would meet as avatars and not recognize each other in real life. But they both find out a couple of important things. There's a market for rich people to pilot a person in artificial reality rather than just using an avatar. There are a few moments where Yuki feels like someone else is moving her arm. It's creepy. And that's what Tom's job was for Joyflower, being puppeted in artificial reality. And he was in high demand because he's Japanese. And again, we're reminded of this obsession with Japan. Constantine and Yuki also find out that there is another level to AR, one only accessible at higher speeds, which are only reachable by doing drugs. Not very many people know about this higher speed version, and those that do, of course, tend to be the rich. There's a theme throughout this book about myth and reality and rumor, especially this rumor about a new, entirely artificial reality Japan or these mysterious AR murders. How do you know what to believe when you're in a completely artificial landscape? An avatar that looks like a child could just be some dude in his 50s who likes to pretend to be a child. But it turns out that more is true in artificial reality than one might expect. The new Japan, only accessible by people of Japanese descent, and also only accessible at extremely high speeds, those reached by dangerous amounts of drugs, is real. Constantine discovers the pass, the same one sold at the beginning of the book, by who we now know is real Tom to fake white Tom. It gives anyone who uses it access to the mythical AR Japan, regardless of their ethnicity. However, that involves taking more drugs, and there are side effects, and those usually end up with the person dying. It's this pass and this access to AR Japan that Joy Flower is hoping to find by using Yuki. Because if there's one thing the rich cannot stand, it's somewhere that they are not allowed to go. It's kind of convoluted, but in the end, Yuki discovers that Tom is still alive. He's hiding somehow in artificial reality. He's hiding specifically from the makers of AR Japan because they're upset with him for selling a pass to their secret country. Yuki gets in contact with the creators of AR Japan, and with their help and knowledge, she finds Tom's hiding spot and goes to confront him. 
Constantine's investigation has taken her through many levels of AR, and she's talked to many different people, none of whom are willing to speak with her in the real world. But she gets in contact with a hacker and, with their help, manages to stumble her way to Tom's hiding place at the same time as Yuki, and Constantine happily hands over the pass to the makers of AR Japan, glad not to be involved in figuring out that mess. There's a bit at the end where Yuki, who has been on drugs this whole time she's been investigating, where she wakes up in Japan, and it's like Japan that was. My final word on Tea from an Empty Cup. The book was fine, but not really my speed. I'm going to be putting it in my giveaway pile. But this is probably worth a read if you're interested in cyberpunk and virtual reality. It raises interesting questions about reality and what people will do in a totally anonymous setting. And also, how do you even go about creating an artificial country? And what are the broader implications of losing a whole country? And there's this whole thing about people looking for another level beyond artificial reality. So they'll go from actual real life into artificial reality and be looking for a way out to another level of reality. And I think that extra layer of reality is where this new Japan is. But it's one of those things that's not spelled out. It's just sort of implied. If you want more media like this, you can try Neuromancer by William Gibson. And actually, Ready Player One by Ernie Klein explores virtual reality a lot. Join me next time to hear about Tarzan of the Apes by Edgar Rice Burroughs. If you like the podcast, I'd love it if you could rate and review it. You can find the pod on Facebook at Backlog Books Podcast. Comments, questions, book requests, you can email me at backlogbookspod at gmail.com. The music is by Joseph McDade. You can hear more of his work at josephmcdade.com. Thank you for spending this time with me. I hope to talk with you again soon.